Girl, how are you? Well, I am wearing a lovely shade of I feel like shit because I haven't slept in three days because I've been watching the return. So tread lightly, my friend. You have been warned. How, I, I mean, I guess. How are you? Uh, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Hi, Ellen Marsh. Oh, hello. Patricia. You guys, we're in season three already, girl. We are barreling through it, as they say. Really? Because I feel like we've been doing this podcast for 17 years. <laughs> are you having fun? I am having, what was the question? Fun? Yeah. When you say it up there, yeah. and that, you <laughs> yeah. know, I am having a blast. Honestly, we are all in agreement that in this dumpster fire of 2020, we call life. I mean, this has really been one of the bright spots, honestly. I agree, as they say in Paris. I agree. You agree. I adore. I mean, it's just great. I mean, what a little surprise. You know, who thought talking about these god awful cases and looking at your face more than I have in 20 years would be as fun as it is? You're welcome, America. I keep forgetting to say, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared. You guys, join the Facebook group. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. If you want more of this shenanigans, and you just want, like, I don't know, random videos or Ellen going live apologizing for thinking that John Wilkes Booth killed JFK. <laughs> Wow, you're really throwing that back. You're giving me a flashback Friday on that. Wait, tell them about the Instagram. Okay, find us on Instagram. It's called the Disappeared Pod on Instagram. Why are you looking at me like I should be saying something that I'm not? Uh, what? Remember how we want them to come like hang out with us on Friday Night Live? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys, you should see the look that he's giving me right now. You can do this better. You can do better than this. You can talk about the Instagram and I'm better. Away. Now I can't do my doggy voice to you because it's just going to erupt into Cookie Monster every time. Who is good at doing the Cookie Monster voice? Oh, who is so good at it? All right, you guys, Disappeared Season 3, Episode 1, Mystery at the Border. Tell us the story of the disappearance of the McStay family. Joseph and Summer McStay appeared to have it all. You know, they're just your average middle-income family in America. They love each other and they're happy. But then, the family disappears from their San Diego home without a trace. It's a pure mystery. There's nothing. They just vanished. They just disappeared. Could the family have intentionally walked away from their seemingly perfect lives? It just was really hard for me to think that they would go to Mexico walking across the border. Or could the McStay family have met with foul play? Something bad had to happen for that car to just be sitting there. It's like, this is nobody's reality. It's like something outlandish you see in a theater. And you're like, God, that can never happen. And we're living it. It sucks. So the McStay family is made up of Joseph and Summer, a husband and wife, and they have two adorable little boys, Joseph Jr. and Gianni, and they call Gianni Chubba. It's so cute. Wait, don't make that cute. That is the worst thing in the world. It's not because he's chubby. Some people get called chubby when they're little kids and they never outgrow it, Ellen. Don't normalize the fat shaming of children. No, his name wasn't <laughs> chubby. It was Chubba. Chubba. You tell a fat person that and see if it makes a bit of difference. If there's an A no. or an E. 
wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was his grandmother's name for him. That's called bullying, Ellen. Oh, my God. Anyway, so a lot of their family pop up in this documentary. Michael McStay, who is the brother of Joseph Tracy, who is Summer's sister. Susan, who is Joseph's mom, are the main talking heads. Yeah. And so it opens on Tuesday, February 9th, 2010. And the brother, Michael, gets a call from Joseph's business partner. The caller has news about his older brother, Joseph. He hasn't heard from him in five days. That was alarming. No one's heard from my brother in five days. We find out that Joseph owns a custom indoor water fountain business. I was like, I forget there's so many jobs. <laughs> there's so many jobs. I mean, Don't find you. your niche. Go with it. What's your niche, girl? I don't know. Screaming at the top of my lungs to my former ex-best friend who <laughs> likes to remind me that I'm going to die alone. How can I make money doing that? Can I make money yeah, doing yeah. that? We're going to figure it out if it's the last thing we do, girl. So we find out that Joseph works from home in order to be closer to his family, which is really sweet. And yeah. the family goes on to explain that they have just a very simple and happy life. Now, the brother, Michael, says something, and I'm not going to like go too off about this. He said they are a tight family. They love each other and they're happy. They loved each other and they were happy. Now, I'm not coming for this man, but I just want to point out that people's outward manifestation of happiness doesn't always mean that they are that. Yeah. And I think it's an easy trap to fall into, especially with social media. And I know he was just kindly explaining what his family was like. You know, they're just happy people. But I just find that statement problematic. I just wanted to say that. I know that he didn't mean anything by it, but we hear that a lot, right? Yeah. We hear like, oh, they were happy. He would never, you know. Wow, thanks for taking the time to work out that monologue in front of the whole group, girl. Thank you so much. I didn't mean to monologue about it. It just always strikes me when they say say that. Like when John Glasgow's wife was like, no, he's a happy guy. It's like, well, no, I don't think he was, you know? So this is like the repraise in act two, I guess, where we call back to the main theme. Yeah. You know, what you said reminds me of an old saying I'm going to hearken back to. Yeah. A wise woman said it. Fuck this shit. Maybe <laughs> stop running your mouth for five <laughs> seconds. I can't remember the exact phrase. You know, I actually know the person who invented the expression, the eyes are the window to the soul. You're looking at so, her. You're looking at yeah, her. We should yeah, right here. <laughs> I hate you. I hate that I said that, and I hate that it is trapped in history. Like, I want to go back. You know how they went back to all the old TV shows and took out all, like, the problematic scenes? Yes. I want to do that. I want to do that. I hate that you have that on me. I hate that. I love you so much. Do you know, the other thing about this family, too, is that they know when all the holidays are. For example, Michael, the brother, thought maybe it wasn't weird that Joseph and family had been out of touch for a while <laughs> because it was right around President's Day, and he considers that to be the holidays, he says. Being that that President's Day fell on a Monday, you know, and that being kind of a holiday time of the year, we thought, well, maybe they're doing a 10-day vacay, you know, take off that Saturday go that week, then you get a three-day weekend. It's basically just a 10-day vacay is what he calls it. He actually did say that. <laughs> I know. They really love President's Day in that family and good for them. <laughs> if you PayPal'd me $100,000, I could not tell you what month President's Day was. No. It's just one of those days where you go to the bank and it's like locked and they're like, it's President's Day. They're like, oh, fuck, it's President's Day. That's the only reason I would know. No banks, no post offices on President's Day. Totally. Totally. <laughs> 
So the brother is saying... He was always on the phone. Always, uh, you know, he had multiple deals going on. So for all of a sudden, an abrupt halt, that was, that was pretty big. The fact that the business partner is calling and Joseph hasn't been in touch with him in five or six days, that's a big deal because Joseph was always on the phone, runs his own business. He's making deals, you know, all the time. So it would be very weird for him to just be like completely out of touch for that long. When he hears that Joseph hasn't been in touch with his business partner since then, Michael knows something is not right. So now his mom, Susan, is also getting involved. She hadn't heard from him and she got a bit worried. And she asked another friend, not Michael, to go check on the house. And the dogs were outside. Wait, I'm sorry, because it occurred to me the second time that the mom here is the down bitch for the episode because she has everybody's number in her phone. Yeah. The person that she sends to check on the dogs the first time is one of her son's subcontractors. I know. To which I said, Mom, how'd you get that guy's number? I know. She's like, what's your name? Yeah. Dale, nice to meet you, Dale. Just give me your phone number just in case I need it one day. I know. That's the kind of mom I'm going to be, where you're just on the sly, get everybody's phone number in case your kid goes missing someday. Yeah. You can call everybody. But anyway, this subcontractor friend goes. Joseph's partner finds Bear and Digger playing outside, their food bowls filled. If they were going to leave town, they would let people know because they'd have to take care of the dogs. So Mama Susan was like, huh, okay, that's weird. We find out that they had a puppy named Digger and an eight-year-old dog named Bear. And then two days pass and still no word. And then Mom... Mom digs right into the cell phone contacts page and calls the business partner and sends him over to check on the house. When the McStays still haven't been heard from, Joseph's mother, Susan, starts to feel uneasy. So she asks Joseph's business partner to go check on the house again. This mother knows everybody. Yeah. But wait, hearkening back to the family tradition of knowing when all the goddamn holidays are, the mom goes, You know, it's not unlikely for them to take off and go do something between the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day. When the fuck is either of those things? (laughs) The Super Bowl? Do you want to come over on Sunday? (laughs) No, it's the Super Bowl. What? The Super Bowl. You have an offer for something and you're just like, no, you got to count me out. You got to count me out. From the Super Bowl to V-Day, I am done. No. But anyway, the reason it wasn't spiking anyone's spidey senses was because the dog bowls had been moved and refilled. So they thought, huh, they must have hired a dog walker or someone to come feed the dogs. But this is now February 13th. Very close to Valentine's Day. Really right up against Valentine's Day. But by February 13th, when no one has heard from the McStays for nine days, the family decides to take a drastic step. So it is nine days later and there's still no word. So then Mama Susan sends her son, Michael. Here's my thing, though. The mom has now sent the subcontractor, the business partner, and her other son. Hey, mom, what are you doing this weekend? (laughs) Also, the mom is, like, young and beautiful. And, like, these are grown-ass children. So it's like, I bet the mom's social calendar is V-full. Also, the day before Valentine's Day, she's got a line of suitors. She's got a busy weekend planned, Ellen. She can't go. She's been busy since the Super Bowl, which is... I don't even know how long, but it's it's a long, it's it's a period of time. She's busy. She's real busy, you guys. So they send the brother Michael to walk the perimeter of the house and the reenactment actor in this scene. Oh my God. Yeah. This. He looks like he was given the directive where the director was like, maybe they're in the sky. Maybe they're in the ground. Look everywhere. So the thing is, the brother Michael gets there. He opens the gate. He's greeted by the dog. Like The dogs don't seem like they're stars. They seem like they're kind of okay. He walks around. He sees like a partially open window and he just breaks into his brother's house. Why not? It was almost as if they were camping out in their own home. 
Some of the、um, big containers hadn't arrived with their main furniture and whatnot, and they were still trying to do the floor and they were doing some painting. They just redone all the countertops. The thing is, he gets in there, and we're reminded that he says they just moved in, and so there's like not a lot of stuff in the house. But that's not true. They moved in three months ago, and he describes it as like they're camping in their own home. They don't have any furniture. Yeah, but I think they were also. It made it seem like they were remodeling, like they were redoing carpets and things, and they had two little ones. It's always hard to do, but I know what you mean. The way they described it, it seemed a little chaotic. I could just see that there was hustle and bustle. As I looked at, it, I just thought, okay, this is. Normal. So Mike is saying, you know, to him it looks normal, and so he left a note for whoever is taking care of the dogs. Because remember, it's been nine days since anyone has seen this family. Obviously, that means somebody's taking care of the dogs. Mike leaves that person a note, and he leaves. And then that night, Michael gets a call from animal control saying they're about to seize the dogs because the dogs have been left outside without food for a week. Yeah. So then it dawns on Michael that maybe animal control had been coming and feeding them because the dog bowls. Were moved and they had food in their bowl. So Michael decides to call the cops. Now it's Monday, February fifteenth. For those of you keeping track, skipped Valentine's Day. <laughs> Everyone had plans. The search <laughs> Every- shut down for the day. Yeah, everyone's real busy. So Christopher tells us on February fifteenth, eleven days after the McStays were last heard from, the police arrive. And comb through the house, looking for signs of foul play. So that is eleven days after the last time someone has spoken to the McStay family. We meet Detective Troy DeGaulle with the San Diego Sheriff's Office. My name is Detective Troy DeGaulle. The name is much sexier than the man it's attached to. Yeah, much like the name Patrick Hines. <laughs> oh, I think that's an adorable name for an adorable little boy. No, you're the adorable one. No,、nope, see, you are the adorable one. <laughs> That's what happens. This, this is this is this is the life I have chosen. So they said it's hard to make a judgment call because they were clearly renovating and didn't have all their stuff, or they were going to buy new things. So determining whether or not a struggle took place in the apartment was difficult. But there were some things they were able to cross off the list, like blood or any any forced entry. I noticed that the house looked like they were renovating. The home. There wasn't much furniture. It was very difficult to determine missing items. There was just such a lack of furniture that if there was a struggle or if there was something bumped. I wouldn't have been able to pick up on it. And then he says there was like food left out. There was like raw eggs on the counter, and he describes two little bowls of popcorn that were only out of place because a mom would usually clean that up. Oh, 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 oh! We're going there. Okay. So now let me preface my next outrage、yeah. by saying that rational behavior isn't what you would call my forte. <laughs> You guys, you don't even know the depths to which that is true. <laughs> I am not what a person would call reasonable or pragmatic. See, I know you're making a joke. This actually isn't true. You really are those things <laughs> until you aren't. Yeah. And then once you cross that threshold, holy, holy shit! But I would like to explain to you why I had an unjustifiable response to his statement. Will you still love me regardless of what I say? No question. Okay. We've, we've been at this for twenty years, girl. You can't. You can't get rid of me now. So he said. What made me suspicious was the fact that food items were left out, and the two popcorn bowls on the futon traditionally would have been picked up by a mom. The popcorn was left on the couch because traditionally a mom would have picked that up. <laughs> 
Troy, yeah. I get it. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. sure you're not a horrible person, but in my mind, yeah. I already planned your death three times right. from my couch. <laughs> That's the kind of thing, like I do interviews from time to time for like being a podcaster, right? And there are definitely times that I'm like emailing the people the 14 things that I said, like, could you please cut this? Could you please cut this? Right. Like that came out of Troy's mouth and he never gave it another thought, girl. No. Never gave it another thought. He's like, yeah, I stand by it. Detective Troy seems like a nice guy and he worked really hard for this family, but that was a weird thing to say and not be like, no, 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 that's not what I, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Right. Yeah. I feel like the producer was like, did you want to say that in a different way? And he was like, no, no, that was. No. Yeah, no, why? Right. No, no, because, yeah, and they're like, no, no, keep rolling, keep rolling. Because you know ID never has time. They are always behind schedule. So anyway. The McStays have recently moved from a tiny apartment in the beachfront town of San Clemente to a large, airy house in the hills of Fallbrook. They had just moved from down by the water in San Diego up to the mountains to have more space, and they were stressed. I thought you were going to say to have more sex. It really sounded like that's what you were going to (laughs) say. That's funny, because couples with children don't have sex. (laughs) We meet the family friend, MacGyver McCracker. Yeah. This guy does not look like a human being. Yeah, with the hair. He looks like a cartoon sex porn thing. He really, like, the hair and that face, and you know that body. I'm not even calling him necessarily sexy. He just looks like a sex machine. You know what? He looks like the cover of like one of those cheesy romance novels with his like hair blowing in the wind, you know? Yes. That kind of guy. Also, don't skip over the fact that his name is MacGyver. His name is MacGyver McGregor. Like I can't like what? Yeah. This guy needs his own episode. I looked him up on Instagram. I looked him up on Facebook. <laughs> you can't find MacGyver McGregor shirtless pictures anywhere. <laughs> you, you Googled MacGyver McGregor shirtless pictures. Shirtless. Of course I did. <laughs> well, it's the kind of thing where like whenever you're job is MacGyver. Like, you don't have to do that here. With that face, you could do just about anything. You could do just about anything. And he does. He helps them paint. I know. I know. Which to me just sounds like he's kind of like a failed actor. Yeah. Like a failed Hollywood actor. You know what I mean? Because look at him. Like, of course he is. Yeah. Yeah. And he lives in San Diego, which is just close enough to drive up to LA in case he had an audition or a go see. He hasn't had one for two and a half years, but he's not giving up hope and he's just picking up odd jobs on the side to make ends meet. I get it. I mean, but that is 100% his life. Anyway, MacGyver is here to tell us about the dog, Bear. The Sunday before, they disappeared. Summer was telling me how she considered Bear her guardian angel and that Bear protected the kids and protected the family and how important Bear was to the family. It's a very sweet moment. I swear to God, if he didn't look like that, he would have gotten cut from this episode. But they're like, well, we got to use that guy with the face and the hair. <laughs> Someday some queen podcaster's going yeah. to want to talk about this guy. They always give you like a little nugget of joy. I know. Like, I know. like that guy who owned the Terminal 1 bar. Totally. Ignacio. <laughs> he just had that one little, they're like, just give him something. <laughs> just find someone for Patrick. So we're at Sunday, January 31st, which is the Sunday before the McStay family goes missing. And MacGyver goes over to their house to paint. I asked how the house remodel was going. So she said, oh, it's going great. Um, Except the floor guys are coming in and how her painter disappeared. And, uh, you know, so she started expressing to me the stress she had to get the house painted. And so that's when I offered, hey, you know, if you need a hand painting, you know, I can maybe help out. His name is MacGyver. She had to type into the contacts, MacGyver. MacGyver. Can't wait to find out what his birth name was. You know, it wasn't that. No, it wasn't that. So we learned that, you know, he kind of like painted for the day and he was like, this was a bigger project than I had anticipated. So I'm going to come back next week. Excuse me. Excuse me. 
MacGyver painted until Wednesday, at which point he asked for a break. And I said, why is his family treating him so badly? Why are they making him paint day after day after day? He is MacGyver McGregor with that face and that hair. Okay. I think they could have been kinder to him. Okay. He's not the victim in this. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that he showed up with his like one can of paint and walked in and was like... I'm, you want me to do what now? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's not used to actually doing the work. <laughs> I know. He's like, oh, oh, you really wanted me to paint. Oh, I'm not supposed to just take my shirt off and stand by the pool. Okay. Uh, okay. How does a paintbrush work? <laughs> Same question, MacGyver. Slowly puts his shirt back on. So he gets his text from Summer saying. And the goal was for me, you know, to come back on Saturday. I didn't hear anything back till that evening. Little does MacGyver know he will be the last person to see all four of the mixed days together. So that Thursday, Joseph had a business lunch in Rancho Cucamonga with his business associate. I'm sorry, where, girl? Rancho Cucamonga. (laughs) I have this note. I'm like, you're from California. Is that a real place? Yeah, it's a real place. In the South, they got real, real dicey (laughs) with the names of the towns. Rancho Cucamonga. And I don't want to say anything like insensitive if that is like a native, you know, word from somewhere else, which I'm sure it is. I want to meet like the Republican mayor of Rancho Cucamonga and he has to say that at like the mayor's convention. He's like, hi, I'm Bill, mayor of Rancho Cucamonga. Like that. (laughs) Why does everyone have a Southern accent? I have no idea. So that Thursday, Joseph had a business meeting in Rancho Cucamonga with a man by the name of Chase. Now he is never named in this episode, but I'm just going to give you context. His name is Chase. At 8.47 p.m. was the last call that Joseph made and it was to this business associate, Chase. So now we're at February 4th, 2010. So that's the last day that anybody saw them, February 4th. So now we're back to like the present where the detectives are like canvassing the neighborhood and speaking to all the neighbors and they get surveillance video from a neighbor which shows the family car leaving the family home at 7.47 p.m. So it leaves and it never comes back. But also the last call from Joseph's phone was made at 8.47, an hour later to that business associate. So wherever they went, like they left at 7.47 p.m. and never came back. But still an hour later, they called the business associate guy. His final call is at 8.47 p.m. to the same business partner he had lunch with. That business partner had no indication that something was wrong. I was able to determine that February 4th was a very ordinary day for Joseph and Summer at 7.47 p.m. We were able to see what we believe is the white Isuzu trooper pulling out of the driveway, no vehicle in front of it, no vehicle behind it. Right. And so it's a white Isuzu trooper that was seen pulling out of the driveway. So they run the plates for that car. Now, they had been already missing for nine days right. or they hadn't been seen for nine days. Right. They run those plates and find out that the car had been impounded a week prior. Hey, girl. Yeah. Hey, girl. Yeah. It w- hey, girl. Yeah, girl. Uh, It's been a minute since you have your car impounded, right? <laughs> <laughs> So the car they find, it was towed away from a parking lot at a strip mall, which was 60 miles from their house, but also like right next to the Mexican border. And the car had been towed four days after they disappeared, but obviously they didn't know that until about 10 days after they disappeared. And this makes no sense to anybody. We're seeing all of the family, they're like, we have no idea why they would be there. And they're saying, because now, of course, people are like, well, did they park the car and walk to Mexico? Which you could do at the time. And maybe you still can. They tell us that 40 million people cross the Mexican border each year. And one 
old white guy with an affinity for Titanic-themed events tip a 40 to that jackalope fuck hammer called Scoops Daniel? I know. Uh, That's all I could think of was Scoop Daniels just walking to Mexico. Always. So put a pin in this. We're going to come back to the Mexican border in a little bit. But the car, of course, was like brought in for testing. They took photos of it. They dusted for fingerprints. They swapped for DNA. We never get any information about this in the episode. Do you get information on this in the Googing? Do you think I do? (gasps) Do you? Of course I do. (laughs) Who'd you call, Ellen? Did you call the Mexican border? (laughs) So in the back of the car, Detective Troy sees like a large something that's covered in a white sheet. The Isuzu Trooper had something large in the very back in the storage area that was covered with a white sheet. I was very concerned because of the size of the object that was under the white sheet that I would find something indicating foul play. He's totally freaking out. He's like basically convinced it's like the bodies of the entire family. They pull the sheet off and it's weirdly like big toys. It's like little kitchens and little sinks and stuff for kids to play with. I don't understand why children love those toys. They love those toys. Oh my God. Lola loved that. Hours of fun. Daisy still does. Why? It's amazing. It's called make-believe and using their imagination. I know that's something you haven't done since the year one, but that is something that children like to do. It's called creative play. I just gesticulated with my hands so wildly that I think I broke a tendon. (laughs) It really hurts. Am I so gay that I just jazz handed myself into a cramp? (laughs) Is that officially how gay I am? That's that. (laughs) What happened to Patrick? He jazz handed himself into a cramp. He's in the hospital. Let's go visit him. Doctor, will I ever be able to jazz hands again? We still don't know, Patrick. It's important to focus on the positive. Can I hold a vodka tonic? <laughs> he can't hold a vodka tonic in his hand anymore. So the other things they learn about the car is that like, weirdly, the toys are in the back, but like the driver's seat and the passenger seat were in the right places for Joseph and for Summer. And in the back seat, there were the two toddler seats that they say were very tightly secured. Right. But they say that like, the thing about it, there was no sign of foul play. And if the entire family were in this car, nobody else could have been in the car with them. So they're saying like, they couldn't have been forced into this car because there wasn't room for a fifth person with a gun or whatever, which is all just like leading to the speculation that they like parked the car at this mall and then walked into Mexico, which maybe is what happened. Right. Yeah. So the same day they find the car in the mall parking lot, Detective Troy, he says, I asked some of my partners to go down to the border and seize any surveillance video of pedestrians and vehicles crossing into Mexico. I'm like, seize? Couldn't you just ask nicely? You know what I mean? You have to just like storm in there and demand it. Seize it! Can you just get the videos? Can you just get the videos? If you just ask nicely, I'm sure they'd be happy to give it to you, girl. God. What, you're going to seize it? Jesus. But so they go in and this is the thing that makes me crazy. You guys, we are told earlier in this episode, this is the busiest border crossing anywhere in the fucking world. They've got one camera of the people walking into Mexico and it's from behind and it's like 400 feet away. Why isn't it more important to have like actual images of people's faces? Yeah, the Mexico side has no image. So it's just on the American side. You guys, this is not good security. I know. I'm not an expert, but I do think that we could do better. And that's just what I think. Patrick Hines for whatever the fuck, we could do better. So they go through the footage from that night and this shit is so crazy. I mean, number one, because the footage is so grainy. It's really creepy, yeah. Not ghostly, Christopher. It's just grainy, girl. The footage is so grainy. 
you're like, they're not going to be able to see anything. But then you see these four people, a man and a woman, each holding a kid's hand, walking into Mexico. We all agreed that there was one instance that absolutely resembled the McStay family in totality. Even I, as someone who's never met these people, I'm like, well, that is definitely them. Yeah. And, you know, Summer was wearing this coat that kind of resembled the coat she had. And she was wearing Uggs and she had a pair of Uggs. And the little kids were wearing beanies and they were kind of like beachy little kids with wild hair that wore beanies. And totally everything kind of ticked off. And to your point, they're the exact same age. They're a husband and a wife holding little toddlers. And so they bring in the family and the family was super divided. Some were convinced it was them, you know, again, with the beanies and the identifying them. Grandma said, oh, that's exactly how the little one walks. I could tell it was Chuba in the front. I can tell his walk and I could tell his hat, you know, the clothing. I couldn't tell for sure Summer and I couldn't tell my son at all because Joey has this huge head of hair and all these curls. And even when he puts a beanie on, you're seeing pieces of his hair somewhere. And I could see no hair. Wait, because the grandma's like, it definitely looked like the little chubba. Don't get me started. That's bullying grandma. It's the little chubba. And that definitely looked like Summer. But the guy didn't really look like my son. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to know. And the grandma says, this video will haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. This video is useless. Why even have it? I know. Like, I really don't understand what the theory is. How could you ever use video from that camera to accomplish anything? Why would you even have a camera if that's all you're have. I know. It is pretty cool though that out of the thousands and thousands of people, they did identify them. It'd be an interesting experiment. Like, was it just that they were the only two that were like a man and a woman and two kids? Or could you show us like two other examples of that? And would we just think that all of them were them? Like, it's just impossible to know. Right. And like you were saying, the timeline of these people walking into Mexico was about an hour and a half after the car was parked in the mall parking lot, which was very nearby. So this really does make Detective Troy think like, yeah, that probably was them. Like Joseph enjoyed taking photographs and video of his family. I reviewed all of that before we did a comparison of that border surveillance video. In my opinion, all four persons match the general gait and characteristics of all four of the McStay family members. They probably were going to Mexico. And the thing that's even crazier, you guys, you don't need a passport. Anyone can walk into Mexico with no identification, apparently, but you can't come back unless you have a passport. And they go through all of their paperwork and all of their shit. They find out that both the mom and the dad did have passports, but they hadn't been used. They never found the passports. The kids didn't have passports. The whole point is that if they were walking into Mexico, they were fleeing. They weren't coming back. They had no means to get back. I looked for signs that somebody could have been with them. They could have been in in distress. I'll never know for sure until I talk to the mixed days. But in general, the mother, father, and children are walking very free and normal very casually into the border. But you said something really interesting that I want to piggyback off of. It's really easy to cling to false assumptions. It's really easy to, you know, your mind can play tricks on you. If you want something to be something bad enough, you can see things that aren't there. You know, like the grandma could... Even I, I'm like, that was definitely them. Yeah. I've never met these people. You don't know them. Absolutely. The grandma's like, oh no, that's the way Chubba walks. That's the way he walks. Bullying. (laughs) It's not. But (laughs) I... I just think it's interesting because if you want something to be, your brain can make it happen. It's it's very weird. And I will say that I think that the family was kind of aware of that too. And like, they were resistant to it. Like Summer's sister is like- When I initially saw the video, I wanted wholeheartedly to believe it was them. 
but unfortunately, I just, I didn't feel it was them. Doesn't look like my brother-in-law. And I just, I don't think it's them. Yeah, they were super divided. The sister didn't believe it was them. But yeah, all to say, it looked like they were going to Mexico and they were not coming back. Yeah, and like, you usually hear this from family members. You don't usually hear this from the cops, but Detective Troy was like, girl, I kind of wondered if they were in the witness protection program. From the very early stages of the investigation, I considered witness protection as one of the possibilities of this family's disappearance. I solicited federal agents, U.S. Marshals, Department of Justice, and they assured me that they are not in witness protection and I'm very confident that they are not in witness protection. And he's like, through the people that I knew, like, I can tell you with certainty they are not in witness protection. So if they were going to Mexico, like, they were, I guess, on the run. Like, these people were super close with their families. And this was where I was like, all right, where are the money problems in this family? Because my thinking was this is going one of two ways. The dad killed the whole family, like that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and buried them all under the porch and ran away. Or somehow convinced Summer and the kids that they should all run away to get away from whatever money problems they had. That's totally where I thought this was going. That is not where this goes. So yeah, money troubles would definitely be a motive for someone to go missing, but they look at his bank records and they have about $100,000 in the bank and it's untouched. Yeah. Nothing was, you know, irrationally withdrawn. Nothing. Yeah, and they keep saying like, all of the family is like, how can this family, a family of four, live without withdrawing any money? And then I'm thinking, well, maybe they had money stashed all over the place. And the brother was like, girl, that's not what happened. Girl, he didn't have money stashed everywhere, all right? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, the authorities are saying they had no ties to Mexico. We learned that, like, Summer was afraid of Mexico. Like, one of the friends is like, oh, a year ago, we tried to plan a whole, like, friends trip to Mexico, and Summer, like, was definitely not going. Yeah, she was like, no Tino Shade, no Mexico. Yeah. Absolutely not. (laughs) But then they find the weirdest thing in checking their home computer. I mean, this seems super benign, but now it's just so confusing. They had Googled the requirements for access into Mexico, and if past Passports were needed for children to go into Mexico. That was January 27th. That was like a week before they went missing. That was so confusing to me. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, well, maybe that fucking was them then. Like walking on, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what Detective Troy lands on. He's like, all that in totality definitely made me believe it was a strong possibility that was the McStay family walking across the U.S.-Mexico border. They were gooking it. Like, just because they don't have any reason to leave doesn't mean they didn't, you know? Yeah. So the family does not think they went to Mexico, but they're running ads in like Mexican newspapers and they're handing out flyers by the Mexican border. And a couple weeks later, one of the detectives gets a call from a waiter in a town in Mexico that's close to the American border. And he's like, girl, this family was at my diner this morning and I waited on them. And they bring this guy in. They explain like one of the sons has a really unique birthmark on his forehead. The waiter claims he knew it was the family because he recognized the distinctive strawberry red birthmark on Joey's forehead and even mistook him for a girl which had happened in the past. He's like, yeah, I totally saw that. That's what made me think this was definitely them. And he's like, they were scouring a map of Mexico. And the waiter's like, and guess what, bitch? I brought that shit with me. Yeah. The waiter like brought the map with him yeah. to the police station. They were like, ah, oh, if we just had that map. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> You mean this map? <laughs> and so they hand over the map and Detective Troy says, I've obtained possession of that map. I put that map into our crime lab for fingerprint analysis. The fingerprints were processed and lifted and compared to both Joseph and Summer's fingerprints and 
Joseph and Summer's fingerprints are not on that map. It wasn't them. They explained that they were real estate agents, so their fingerprints were on record. Had no idea that real estate agents were in such a dangerous field that they had to have their fingerprints run. But imagine, because like when you're a real estate agent, you're alone with like anybody in a house at any time. Like that, that, that shit scares me. I guess so. But can we just all OWD family? Can everyone just go get their fingerprints done? Have you ever run your fingerprints? No. You need to do that. Why? Everyone needs to do that. Oh, you mean like just get them on file? Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Like if you were to go missing, how would I? get your fingerprints. Touch the vodka bottle. Get his prints from that vodka bottle. (laughs) Which one? There's like 70. Just pick one. He's touched them all. I can confirm he's touched them all. Yeah, it's fine. Just (laughs) grab it. Let's go. He doesn't use a shaker. He just drinks it with a straw. Um, and so basically, girl, this is how it ends. It's like so many of these episodes, it just ends with no answers, which is why we have you, girl. <laughs> oh, boy. What did you go? All right, guys. First of all, there is a lot of information on this case. There is a lot of video. I went through a whole series of watching this trial. So slight trigger warning for anybody that is listening. November 13th, 2013, the remains of the McStay family were found in the desert by a passing Motorist. Oh. Yeah. Investigators and the public focused on Charles Chase Merritt. No. Who was the last known person to have contact with Joseph and the first to notice his disappearance. Remember that business associate who called the brother and was like, hey, I haven't seen him in a couple days. That's the guy? Yeah. And the guy he had that lunch with in Rancho Cucamonga. Which is a real place. Yeah, which is a real place. We come to learn that Merritt, his name is Charles Chase Merritt, had felony convictions for burglary, stolen property. He stole $32,000 worth of welding and drilling equipment, whatever. November 5th, 2014, detectives from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department arrested him in connections with the McStay family. So among the evidence that they found were traces of Merritt's DNA on the steering wheel of the family's SUV that was abandoned in the mall, which basically meant that he had been driving the car. Also, Merritt's cell phone pinged in the area that the bodies of the McStay family were found, and that was in the Mojave Desert. So Merritt was charged with four counts of murder. So this is a little upsetting. So this is a trigger warning for anyone listening. The autopsy concluded that all four of the victims had been beaten to death with a blunt object. They found a three-pound sledgehammer, which was found in the grave that contained the remains of Summer and her son. Through investigation, they believed that the victims were tortured before they were killed. Why would he do this? Is there a motive? So he was a business partner. It said that he had some gambling debt and that he had like a gambling problem. Oh my God. There's a little bit more. June 10th, 2019, the San Bernardino County jury found Merritt guilty of murdering the McStay family. The jury recommended that he be sentenced to death and the court upheld their recommendation and he was sentenced to death January 21st, 2020. But he denies it, right? He says he didn't do it. He says he didn't do it. And I watched these victim impact statements and he's bawling and he made a statement that was like 26 minutes long and he's crying his coward baby eyes out. And I'm like, it's called karma and it's pronounced fuck off. He was crying the whole time. 
time. It was awful. It's an awful story, but he is in jail and this was just wrapped up in 2020, you guys. How did he do it is my question. Like, how did he overpower this Joseph guy and the wife? Yeah, I mean, in my head, he came in with a gun and was like, everybody get in the car. We're going somewhere. Because again, he did not cause them any harm in the home. That much they know for sure. Say something funny. Remember when you cleared your throat at the top of this episode and I thought you were going to (laughs) bark? You guys, we did episode one of season three of Disappeared, girl. I know, I know. Make it end. Make it end. Make it end. Why? I know. I love you so much. Um, I love you. What do we have to tell them? I don't know. Oh, rate us on iTunes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rate us on iTunes, you guys. Rate us on iTunes. Just be nice. Throw us a five-star review and say what you like about the show. It just helps other people find our show and love on us and, you know, make the trolls go away. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Nothing will ever make the trolls go away. You guys, also join the Facebook group, Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. Follow us on Instagram, The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night, we go live, uh, and we have a really fun time. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram, at Ellen Marsh. Follow Patrick on Instagram, at Patrick Hines underscore. I love you so much. I love you. I love you. God bless America. (laughs) Goodbye. Tell us the story of the disappearance of the McStay family. Oh my God. (laughs) What was that? It was sort of like um, a snoff. It was like half sneeze, half cough. Remember when you were just talking about how gross men are and I totally agree with you. That was disgusting. (laughs) And and I also understand you got to do it. Like, what are you going to not snoff? No, you got to. Right. But the difference is mine doesn't stink. (laughs) Everything men does smells. All, anything coming out of any of their holes stinks. And and that's that. Um, so... Okay, you are you going to be okay over there? <laughs> Do you need a break? Do you need an equity five or whatever? Kylan's <laughs> like, all right, here oh. we go. <laughs> <laughs> this mother has eyes everywhere. Do not fuck with this woman, you guys. All moms have eyes everywhere. That's a thing you don't know. You are adorable business partner who saw him for lunch in Rancho Cucamonga that day. <laughs> Which is a real place, you guys. I just want to say Rancho Cucamonga. Actually, somebody bought merch from there because I wrote out, I was like, is that a real place? And I wrote out Rancho Cucamonga. Rancho <laughs> Cucamonga. 